Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to earn more and less time doing work they love for better clients. You can find detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 223. Those notes always include a summary of our discussion here, as well as any links to resources I mentioned during the show. So today I want to talk about how to build strong and lasting client relationships that, that turn you into an indispensable resource. And this is one of the most underused strategies for growing your business and your income as a freelance writer or copywriter. It really is a very powerful way to move the needle in your business without having to continually prospect for new business. I find that it creates a huge multiplier effect that has implications way beyond increased income. Many times that's kind of the initial objective, but soon after you start pursuing some of the strategies I'm going to share with you, you start seeing the impact that it can have beyond income. For me, this approach changed the game completely. I entered a period in my writing business where I didn't have to take on new clients for a period of about two years. Not only did I increase my income every year during that time with the set of clients I did have at the time, but as I earned more, I was actually working less. And that opened up time for me to work on a number of side projects that changed the trajectory of my business and my career. So some examples of that is I started and grew a new blog to help other writers grow their businesses. In the process of that, shortly after, I landed a book deal with a major publisher, a book deal that included my friends and partners, Steve Sloan White and Pete Savage. We wrote The Wealthy Freelancer. I had time now to co-write the book with Pete and Steve while earning a very nice little side income from a business that we created and eventually blossomed into something much bigger. And all that happened because of the strong and lasting relationships that I built with clients. I'm convinced that this is what enabled me to do that. And the reason I feel so strongly about this is I think with as writers, we often think that it's our skills and our track record that's going to get us hired. But I've learned over the years that it's typically the other stuff, like the soft skills in many cases, that matters most, especially outside of you know, the world of hardcore direct response or sectors of the business where it's all about the performance. Okay, Even then, I would argue that there's a little bit more to it than that. But I don't want to take away from the writing craft I just feel that many of us place way too much emphasis on that, and then we ignore the things that we're going to be talking about here today. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to cover three levers you can pull to become indispensable to your clients outside of just producing great results for them or giving them great writing. And I'm going to tell you what those are, and then we're going to go and dive a little bit deeper into each. The three levers are, number one, understand what your clients are going through. Number two become super easy to work with, and number three, capitalize on trust. Before I go any further, I just want to warn you, these sound very simple. I don't want you to dismiss them, and I hope you give me a chance to explain what these mean, because I think you'll find that they're a little bit deeper 
and uh, more involved and more important than they might seem on the surface. So just give me a chance to explain, and I think you'll start seeing the value here and how this could have a dramatic impact on your business. So let's start with the first lever, which is understand what your clients are going through. You know, if you're working with marketing directors, for example, you need to understand what these people and other marketers who hire writers and copywriters are going through in their jobs. There, many of them are doing the job of two or three people, which means that they wear a ton of hats. I found that, you know, after the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, the world of work changed. For a long time, companies weren't hiring new people. In fact, they let go of a lot of their staff. And when they did start rehiring or the people who were left over, they were expected to take on so much more. Now, hiring has obviously come back, but companies are still cautious. And it's not like it was pre-2008. I mean, these people are doing a lot. They have to carry a lot of the weight and wear a ton of hats. Writing and copywriting is just one of those hats, one of the many things that they have to manage, that they have to outsource, that they have to deal with. So they have all these things that they have to worry about, and there's tons of pressure. There's a lot of stress, a lot of expectations. There's constant firefighting. And in the middle of that, they're getting pitched by writers who don't seem to know the first thing about their company or whose pitch is just not relevant. It's generic. It's lazy. And when they do hire a writer, in most cases, these are people who are just difficult to work with. They don't meet deadlines. They're high maintenance. They're just, they're not great partners to work with. They feel entitled. So my stance is, you know, if you understand that, why not become an oasis in the middle of all this craziness that they're dealing with? You know, I had a client, this hit me years ago when I had a client who told me, In an email, I just, I don't know, I had just submitted a draft for something and she just thanked me. And she said, you know what, Ed, you are the only writer we've ever worked with who consistently turns in error-free drafts. And I was really taken aback by that. And I'll talk more about error-free and things you could do that are really, really simple that make a big, big difference. But I guess I had assumed that everyone did that sort of thing. And I'll be honest. There was a time when I didn't do that, when I turned in sloppy work, okay? So I don't want to create this impression that, you know, I came into this perfectly. I definitely struggled with that. But eventually, this became one of my imperatives, and I guess it just became commonplace for me, and that woke me up to the fact that, no, this is not the norm, okay? So I guess really summarizing lever number one, very, very important that you just understand Put yourself in their shoes and understand what they're going through. Awareness is really the first step here. Let's talk about lever number two, which goes a little bit deeper into some of the stuff, which is to be super easy to work with. Sounds great on the surface, but let's unpack this a bit. There, I find that there are two key components to be easy to work with for clients. The first one is dependability, and the second one is what I call joy or delight. Okay, so let's talk about dependability first. Dependability is mostly what you would expect, okay? But I want to talk about some things that maybe you're maybe not considering or not thinking about as much. So let's start with the first one, which seems obvious, but you'd be shocked by how many freelancers in general in all professions are not doing this. Meet deadlines every time, okay? Do what you say you're going to do. If you tell them you're going to have a first draft by this date, 
get it by then. If you tell them you're going to get their revisions done and incorporate it into the draft by a certain date, make that happen. Okay. Be on time for all meetings and calls, even if they're not. Be responsive. I don't mean respond within five minutes to emails. Okay. We don't have to do that. In fact, I would never create that expectation, but be responsive when it comes to email, returning calls, turnaround times, et cetera. Turn in error-free work, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. So one of the things that I mentioned, I wasn't doing that at first. I guess I'd never thought about it. And I was editing and proofreading my own stuff. And then I learned, you know what? You can't proofread your own stuff. So a colleague suggested, I was really embarrassed with a couple of clients. And I was talking to a colleague of mine years ago. And she said, you know what? I learned to use a proofreader because it's not you, Ed. Nobody can proofread their own stuff effectively. And she gave me the name of her proofreader. By the way, the proofreadnow.com is the company I've been using and the one she referred to me so many years ago. And that must have been, geez, about 16 years ago, 15, 16 years ago. And I've been using them ever since. It changed things for me because I started seeing proofreading as a key step in the process. Uh, some writers use proofreaders at the very, very end on the final draft. I learned it's better to use it before you submit your initial draft. Okay, it makes a big, big difference. And if there are significant changes after that, then use them again. It's really not that costly, number one. And even if you feel it is, you know what? And I'll talk more about this in a few minutes. Charge enough that this is not an issue. Okay, this is not an area to nickel and dime the client on or to just approach it from a scarcity standpoint. Another area, a key point in the area of dependability is professionalism. Maintain a high level of professionalism, how you behave yourself, your demeanor, your attitude, your communications. Stay professional. Easier said than done sometimes. You know, when you're under pressure, stressed, you client comes back with a request that feels out of the ordinary or you don't agree with it, stay professional. Take a deep breath and stay professional. Be careful with what you say and how you react. Flexibility is another key one. So with flexibility, what I mean by that is, you know, you're going to have terms and conditions, okay? And this is how you work. However, you need to be flexible sometimes, especially with clients who are loyal. You need to set boundaries, but you need to be willing to make exceptions as needed, okay? So for instance, one of my conditions or my terms is that revisions need to be submitted within 30 days of the initial draft. So I give them the initial draft on the first of the month, let's say. Hey, you got till the 30th to send me any requested revisions. And the reasoning behind there, I'm not going to get too much into this, is after 30 days, it's really kind of hard to get back into the project. You know, you've forgotten a lot of it. You've kind of moved on. And it takes a lot of work and effort. Plus, you know, you need to draw the line somewhere. Well, there have been many instances where it's been longer than that. Now, I will follow up with the client. Of course, I don't want it to be a gotcha thing. But there are situations where it's come in later. And I've been flexible, but I still remind the client of the boundary by saying, it's no problem. I'll take care of it. You know, we have my terms indicate that these need to be submitted within 30 days. It's been about 45. Just want to let you know that I will take care of it. But, you know, I'm making this an exception. And there's a way to message this so it doesn't come across like you're upset or that you're not doing this again. The tone should be one of, look, I value you. I'll take care of you. Just wanted to point out that, you know, this is an exception. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. Okay. So be flexible. This next point actually is related to flexibility. 
few years ago, I decided to charge enough for my work that I didn't have to start charging rush fees when there was a rush request. Okay, so I started shifting my work to, or my approach to one where I only worked with long-term clients with whom I could partner. And I started treating the relationship as a partnership. And things change when you adopt that mindset. Because if I'm partnering with a client, that means that things are not going to be perfect every time. But I'm committed. I think that's a really important word. As a partner, I'm committed to their success. I'm committed to them and the relationship. I want this to be a long-term thing. And when that happens, you have to understand, or part of the agreement or part of the understanding is that, hey, sometimes there's going to be a request that's going to be out of the ordinary. When you're in a committed relationship like that, when it's a partnership, you don't nickel and dime them. You don't complain. You make it happen. And again, you may have to let them know, hey, listen, absolutely, I'll get this done. You know, Normally, I ask for this. This is outside of that, but I'm going to make this happen. Okay. And when you do that, you remind them of the boundaries. And I think many times that's what it takes. When you're partnering with the right clients, they get it, they understand it, they respect it. They feel bad asking you for exceptions. They feel bad when they have to ask you if you could turn this around really quickly. But the reason they feel bad is not only are they reasonable people, but you remind them of the terms of the relationship. And you remind them that you're going to take care of them and you're there, you're committed, you're partnering with them. So there's a very important difference there that I hope you're getting. Very, very important. Very important that you also take constructive criticism from a client. This can be difficult as a creative professional. I know I struggle with this. I've gotten a lot better. I wish I could tell you that my skin is now really, really thick. I say that, but it's not true. It's gotten thicker, but it's I'm still sensitive. So just learning to take it and to understand or to tell yourself that, look, this is making me better. If it's constructive, it's making me better. And of course, one last thing with dependability is to not adopt a prima donna attitude. Again, I think if you can think of yourself as a partner in an equal, not above them, then you're not going to feel like or act like a prima donna. Okay. It doesn't matter how good you are. Very, very important that you maintain that respect. So that's dependability. Let's talk about joy or delight. And I find that this to me, is my secret sauce. It's not because it's unique to me, not at all, but it's something that I pay more attention to than maybe other people. And I've noticed that it makes a difference. Dependability, which we just talked about, all those things make the client happy. Okay. But joy or delighting them makes them clients for life. Now, before I tell you more about this, I want to assure you that this is not a personality thing. You don't have to be extroverted or have a certain personality in order to bring joy to your clients, in order to be more likable. Okay, not at all. This is really about a mindset and about a commitment to really bringing joy to the relationship. What I want is for my clients to have a certain perception of me that is authentic. It's not fake at all, but when I know that that's the perception or when I believe that that's it, I know that I'm doing my job. So I want you to think about someone you don't hear from very often. But when you do hear from them, it makes your day. I had a friend call me the other day. I hadn't talked to him in over a year. And I miss his call. He left me a message. As soon as I listened to his message, I just, you know, I just smiled. And I got to call him back right away. This is great. Or, you know, let's say they email you. 
It could be an email. They, you just read the email. It brings a smile to your face. That's how I want my clients to feel about me. It starts with you. You need to genuinely like them because if you genuinely like them, it shows you in your behavior. So that's why I like to pick clients or invest in clients. Sometimes you, know, you end up working with someone and it's not going to be that way. You're not going to feel that way about them. But I want to pay more attention to partnering with clients whom I really care about. I care about them. I care about their business. I care about making them look good, okay, which is a big component of the joy and delight piece. I just genuinely want that relationship in because I want it to show I can't fake this stuff. One of the ways you could do this then once you have that foundation is to, again, I mean, the dependability piece, submit drafts on time, maybe sometimes before the committed deadline, but then going beyond that. Okay, and this is really where the delight piece comes in, including extra ideas or suggestions, tips, perspectives that they might want to consider. Maybe sometimes treating the project as if you were the owner of the business or as if you were part of their marketing team or you were the marketing director, as if you were part of the company, okay, and showing that you care, taking that kind of ownership, not in kind of a, hey, step aside, let me take this over. Not that kind of attitude, but one that's much more about being hired help, okay? Thinking about their business while you're off duty, okay? So you're out for a walk or out for a drive and thinking about what's going on or the project or what they're trying to accomplish or the conversation you had recently with them and thinking through, sometimes as you think through it, you'll come up with ideas. And then of course, show them that you do think about it. So when you do think of something, send them a note, okay, or an email or a text or call them the next day or the next opportunity and just let them know, hey, I thought of something, okay? Connect them to others. Be a connector. Make introductions that make sense. I've had a few instances where I've done this and in every case, it's been really valuable and and the client truly appreciated my doing this. One example that comes to mind is I had a client of mine that had a technology for retailers and their suppliers, and they going after big retailers. They were very ambitious, and they were trying to get into Home Depot. And I have a good friend who at the time was a 17 or 18-year executive there at Home Depot. And I think he'd actually just left the company like from the previous year or so. But he, you know, over 18 years, he developed all kinds of relationships at very high levels in the company. So I told my client, listen, I have this friend and I'm not sure if or how he might be able to help, but I'd be happy to make an introduction and see if we can have a conversation, you know, put you in touch with him. He was so appreciative. Just the, my suggesting it made a big, big impact. So I was able to do this. I talked to my friend. He said, absolutely no problem. I think I might be able to have some, not only ideas and suggestions for him, but possibly connect him with a couple of the right people at Home Depot. So I set up a call for the three of us and I let them talk and I just facilitated. That's all. It made a huge difference. I'm honestly, I can't remember if they ended up landing Home Depot as a client, but you know, that's not the point. The point is I made the suggestion, I brokered the introduction and the conversation, and my client never forgot that. Get to know some of them personally. That's another big one, especially if they're local, although they don't have to be. I had a client whom I got to know personally, got to know really, really well. I just really cared about him and 
we would go out to dinner a couple times a year. And one of those occasions was always around Christmas time. And it set some, you know, three hour dinners, great conversation. We really became friends. You know, it wasn't just a business relationship. I had a client who invited me to their annual Christmas party, you know, and I knew, gosh, if you're doing that to an independent contractor, that to me shows how they view me, how they perceive me. So that was really important. That, that was an indicator that I was doing the right things there. I've had several clients who have just expressed, you know, how they strongly they feel about the relationship. One of them, you know, local, we'd go out to lunch three, four times a year. We'd have very candid conversations about, you know, her career and where she was looking to go and what she was looking to do. Things that you wouldn't normally tell an outside contractor. Okay. So I knew that I was doing the right things and I wasn't doing them just to get more business. Again, I was doing them because I cared, but when you do that, you delight the client. So continually think of ways you can delight your clients. Little things can make a big difference. Sending random thank you notes, mailing them an article that you thought would be interesting or made you think of them, sending them a quick text or message occasionally, especially on occasions such as their birthday. Surprise them with a thoughtful gift outside of the holidays, you know, because those tend to make the biggest impression when it's not during the holidays. It doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be anything expensive. It could be something local from where you live or something you know they would like based on what you know about them. Here's a neat idea. If you understand or know them fairly well and you know a cause they're passionate about or they care about, make a donation to that cause in their name and let them know. Things like that. Okay, so that's the delight piece. Let's talk about lever number three, capitalize on the trust you build. The interesting thing is over time in any relationship, the trust is going to grow. Okay, if you're doing things right, the trust is going to grow in that relationship between the parties. As the trust grows, your opportunity also grows. So let me explain what I mean by that. Don't wait for your clients to send you the work. Bring ideas to the table. I mentioned that a little earlier. Again, think about their business throughout the week, even when you're off duty. I think it's just a natural thing. I don't think that many of us need to force ourselves to do that. We just, at the end of the day, I know when I'm doing dishes or cooking, I'm just processing what happened during a day. And sometimes just things kind of just finally start gelling during that processing time. Or if I'm mowing the lawn, it's just the weirdest times. I remember one occasion where I had a client who had been telling me he wanted to write a book. And we talked about me ghostwriting it, but it was just a really early stage idea. And it had been a while and nothing was happening. And I knew that it probably wouldn't happen. But then one day while driving, it hit me, you know, this is not going to happen. He's, he's not going to sit down. He's so busy. So I, I suggested that I sent him an email. Uh, as soon as I got home from that drive, I sent him an email and said, listen, this, that's a big project, and I think you should not give up on the idea. But what if in the meantime, we write a series of short ebooks? At least we get those ideas out there and start getting some results. What do you think? That's something we could start doing now. He replied within the hour, copied his assistant, and said, absolutely, let's start. I'm CCing so-and-so here. Can you coordinate with that? Let's get this thing moving. Okay, that's all it took. Again, I want you to remember that your contact is often in firefighting mode, which leaves very little headspace for creative problem solving and for brainstorming. So 
That's where you can come in and add value. Many times we don't do it because we think, oh, I'm sure they've thought of that already. No, they haven't. They got like 15 other things they have to worry about, not just the writing, okay? Plus, as an outsider, you see things they may not see because they're too close to their own problem. They have blind spots. That's the case for everybody. So help your contact become a hero in her company. When you see opportunities, suggest them. You're way more valuable than you think. And don't get upset, by the way, if they don't go for some of these things or they don't seem to pay much attention or they don't respond. That's okay. You've tried. Frankly, the biggest value of doing this sort of thing is in the attempt. It's in the showing them that you care, that you're thinking about them. So that leads me to another key point here. I want you to get out of the order-taking business. Most writers and copywriters are just that. They're order-takers. It's like they just sit around waiting. Hey, what do you need done? What do you need done? Do you need that? Sure. I'll do that. And that's it. It's very passive. I'm suggesting you take a proactive stance here. So I, an example of this is I had a client who, frankly, I started as an order taker. In fact, in many situations, that's how I've approached my business. The only reason I started shifting my mindset around is because I started getting success, much greater success when I shifted my approach. So this client started out as an order taker and the more work I did for them, the more I realized that there were so many opportunities for them to do more and better work, but the system, the approach they were taking wasn't working. So a lot of the content originated with one of their VPs who was really their main thought leader in the company. And this guy was so, so busy traveling all over the country all the time that I couldn't sit him down to get some of these ideas out of his head, okay, that we needed to create white papers and other marketing materials. So one day it hit me. I said, you know what? You're really good at talking through these things. And he had already told me that he had ideas in the middle of, you know, a drive or at the airport lounge or whatever. So I said, why don't we create a little system where I'll set up a, an Evernote notebook for you? And it's going to be a shared notebook that you have access to, I have access to. Evernote has a voice memo feature. Whenever you are driving or at the airport or, you know, wherever, and you come across an idea, rather than risk losing the idea, capture it with a voice memo. And it will go straight into this notebook, in this bucket, this repository. Just, just talk it through. He was really good at talking it through. So I said, why don't we, if you're good at that, that's your preferred format. Why don't we just make it easy? Let's remove all the friction from the process. And we did. And he would start recording all these little voice memos. And about once a week, I would go into this bucket and take each of these ideas and I would write some notes on them and then I would create an abstract, an article abstract for each of them. And I would charge for this, by the way. Each abstract had a fee that we agreed upon. We would then review them once or twice a month and we would turn some of those abstracts into blog posts, the ones that we felt had the most promise. We would publish the blog posts, the ones that seemed to have the most traction or the ones that turned out the best, we would then turn into other pieces such as articles or a white paper. The ones of the white papers, for instance, that, that you know, seemed to get the best response, we would turn into a presentation or a talk or a webinar and so on and so forth. So I created or I helped them create this little system, a bit of a loop here, where we could remove the friction from the process and ensure that we were constantly creating the kind of content that was going to make a difference for them. Okay, of course, I helped them create great value, get the results they wanted, while also creating a ton of work for me. So again, this is the 
we talked a minute ago about time builds trust. If you do the right things and trust creates more opportunities for the kind of relationship where there'd be much more open to opportunities or will give you more opportunities. With that should come more confidence for you. And with that should come you being proactive instead of being an order taker, offering ideas, bringing ideas to the table. Another idea here as part of this proactive stance that I suggest you take is to offer complimentary services, even if they're offbeat services. So I'll give you a few examples. Uh, graphic design. Hey, you know, I know sometimes your graphic designer is not available or you don't really have one and you're scrambling. What if I offer you packages where, you know, we just take care of the graphic design work? You can either do it by bringing a graphic designer under you or by bringing a graphic designer as part of the partnership and then they can work directly with the client. Many different ways of doing that. Hey, you know, we could turn that white paper we did into a short explainer video. I think it would really lend itself to that. Well, you could bring in a video production company, somebody who could do this, again, either to work directly with the client or to work under you. I've offered turnkey solutions for some clients. For instance, I had a client who, they were a small division of a big company, but he had a lot of leeway and he didn't want to go through the traditional channels to get a postcard campaign done because he knew it would take forever. So he came to me because I was writing his copy and I was able to bring it, go to a company that did not only graphic design, but they were also printers. So I was able to bring them under me and they did the design. I wrote the copy. They did all the print work, letter shop services. We gave my client an end-to-end solution. I was able to mark up their work, add my project management time, and of course, the fee for the copy and the consulting, and voila, here we go. Lots of value for them, easy for them, and very profitable for me. Think about other offbeat services you might be able to suggest. I had a client that I was writing their lead generation email campaigns for them, but they didn't have someone to follow up with those leads and set up appointments for their salespeople. And they were, this is at a time where they were not allowed to hire new employees. So they came to me, hey, can you help us with that? And at first I thought, I don't want to get into calling. That's not what I do. I've done that before. That's not my business. And then I remembered that I knew someone who did that kind of work as a freelancer. So I called him up and explained the relationship. He said, absolutely. Long story short, I was able to bring him in under me and make a very, very hefty profit. He made good money. I tacked on quite a bit. My client got what they needed and got great results. All I had to do was do a little bit of reporting every week and just give my contractor some feedback as results started coming in. About six months later, they came to me and said, this is working great. Hey, listen, we need someone who can do account management. So we're existing customers, and this was a SaaS company, software as a service. So it's a subscription-based model. Said we want to make sure that our customers renew. So the way one of the ways we do that is by just making sure we follow up with customers throughout the year to see how things are going and if there are any problems we don't know about to follow up with them. So we don't have someone, and you know this has been working out really well. Can you find someone? Sure enough, I tapped my network, and I knew of a lady who I thought would be perfect for it. She said, "You know what? I'm not interested because I'm really busy, but my sister." used to do exactly that kind of work for Hewlett Packard. She's a stay-at-home mom now. I think this would be perfect for her. She introduced me. We had a conversation. I brought her into the client. They were very pleased. It worked so well that after, I believe, about a year and a half, two years of her working through me and me 
marking up those services for the client. The client asks if they could hire her directly, which is fine with me. Bottom line is, you know, it's about thinking about these opportunities a little bit more creatively. And this comes from just being open-minded in some cases, because they came to me, sometimes just bringing ideas to the table. One final thing that you could do to capitalize on this last lever, on the trust you build, is offer retainer agreements. But this is a huge opportunity that I only recommend you pursue with clients with whom you've already have a good relationship. You know, I feel that retainers is the kind of thing where there needs to be a good amount of trust there, which is why I have it under this lever. This is, I would not necessarily lead with retainers as the first thing you offer a new client. But once you've built a little bit of trust, once both parties know that they're a good fit, if they have a steady amount of work, this could be a great way to work together and to, again, continue to build that trust and continue to add great value. Bottom line is that the strategic results of this approach I've just presented have a multiplier effect and can have a multiplier effect on your business. As you'll see, the, the results and the benefits of taking this approach are so much more than just a higher income. I mean, yes, you'll get increased fees. You also get longer-term clients, increased income predictability, the ability to earn more in less time, more fun, more trusting clients, more quality referrals, more time for side projects or another side hustle you may want to start. Okay, so there are a lot of benefits. And as you start combining some of these things, again, you start seeing the compounded results. You start seeing the multiplier effect. Look, it takes a lot to find, land, and onboard a new client. My take on that is, and this is something I decided a while back, is, you know, because of that, I'd rather wait to find the right clients that have real long-term potential and then just invest in that relationship, partner with them, and go deep and wide with each of them rather than bring in a ton of clients, each of whom might have just one or two projects for me. It's a risk. And sometimes you have to do a combination of clients because you got to keep the lights on. You got to pay the bills. But this was a great decision. And I wish I could tell you that it was very strategic and I planned it ahead of time. I kind of developed that strategy as I went along. But it was a great decision and it's enabled me to do so much in my business. And I recommend that if you want to have a more fun, profitable business, that you adopt a similar objective, which you can achieve by implementing the ideas I've just shared with you today. This has been Ed Gandia. Thanks for listening. I hope you have an awesome rest of the day. Take care. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.